Well, uh, first I want to uh, just say thank you. I really appreciate you allowing me uh, to be gone this last weekend uh, to Denver City, to the, Tex- uh, the Teenage Christian Conference down there. Um, exactly a year ago, um, I was at that conference, and I always come in late uh, on Friday night and uh, meet up with some people, and they put me up uh, for the weekend. And last year, it was exactly a year ago, I think, I walked in the room, and uh, it was really late at night, and I heard all these voices singing. There were about um, just about 40 kids in the room, um, teens that had been brought in uh, from all over a great part of the nation. Um, acapella had been doing tryouts to bring these teens in to be a part of what's called Region Harmony, and where they're teaching new songs. And this is this is what I walked into, and this is this has been all over YouTube and stuff, but I... I walked in while they were recording this and singing this, and I'm just going to play a small sample of it to you. I'm not singing, by the way. about 40 kids. Um, I know I don't cry easily, but I, I walked in the room, and I mean, seconds went by, and I'm in tears, and I was shaken by how beautiful, it, I mean, by how beautiful it was. And, and it's not just that, but when you're watching the video, and when you're sitting there in the room, the joy that was in their faces, they were worshiping. They weren't singing. They were worshiping. Three of those girls were sisters that had come from just a couple of hours away. Ella and Aronsa were two of the girls singing in that group. They were at TCC this last weekend. Um, Ella was making plans to be a part of the AIM program. It was just a couple of days away. She was already saying goodbye to her parents. Already putting together cookbooks, all of this stuff. And then suddenly there's a car accident and she's standing before her Lord. Last few weeks we've received news. We've been laboring in prayer with the Brown family. Bob Alsop lost his father. A lot of us lost a really, really good friend, Dave Oakley. Two men that we've worked closely with in the park, Steve and Donnie, lost their lives. To, um, and then, of course, Bob Bland, Ed Bonner. Bob, um, like so many in this church, and it's been mentioned, uh, <laughs> um, one time Brad and I were talking, and we said, you know what, if, if, if nothing else brought us up to Colorado, I feel like Bob Bland was part of the reason I came here. I mean, the man transformed lives. And his greatness was in his humility. His greatness was in how he valued other people. And I asked him one time, I said, Bob, if you could have your sight, would you have your sight? And he said, no. I mean, he didn't even think about it. I'm sure he'd given a lot of thought to it. He said, no, I walk by faith. I don't walk by sight. And the next thing I will see is my God's face. 
And, and so even though the, these weeks have been full of a lot of pain and introspection, a big part of me has just been sitting here thinking, we hurt. The family, the Aronso family hurts. But how about standing before God? You know the one scene in the Bible that I think is, is used more frequently than any other to communicate intimacy with God, the kingdom of God in heaven is a marriage banquet. It's one of the most commonly used scenes going all the way back to Exodus. It says this, when, when Moses and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders and they went up on the mountain before the Lord, this is what it says in Exodus 24. It says, they saw the God of Israel under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. How about that verse? God says in Isaiah 25, on that mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This idea of God serving, Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And, and I've learned a greater appreciation for this. Um, cooking is the most stressful thing, and I've talked about it a lot. But I love cooking. And the reason I have grown to appreciate cooking for other people so much is because I had no idea how much work it takes to cook a meal. And for me, it takes a lot of times the better part of a day. By the time my company arrives, my back hurts. I'm sore. I had put so much work going all the way to get the tortillas from the tortilleria. I went over here to get, I'm so selective. But the reason I love it so much is because you're putting so much thought into showing love to these people that you want to honor. And I think about that with parents and those that prepare meals and, and this idea of God preparing a banquet. And that is what Luke 14 is full of. He's going to walk us through a banquet. And basically, he's going to tell us how to conduct ourselves when you come to a banquet. I want to go ahead and open up our text. And we're going to be in Luke 14, beginning in verse 7. It says this, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them a parable. Now, it's really interesting that you're in the presence of Jesus and you're choosing places of honor for yourself at a table. It says this in Proverbs. I'm just going to read four Proverbs to you, taken from verse chapter 15 to 27. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. Humility comes before honor. Again, in 1812, humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Again, in chapter 27, let another praise you, not your own mouth. Someone else, not your own lips. And when Jesus is sitting here with these Pharisees that are so used to bring honor to themselves, when we get to chapter 20, we're going to revisit this because there in Luke 20, it says, beware. Now, that's, that's the language you use about lions and snakes and these kinds of things. And he says this, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' homes 
and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. He's really serious about this whole banquet scene and taking a low place. And so he says this in verse 8. And this is about when you are invited to a banquet. And I just want you to picture this. Take the lowest place. Take a place where you're going to honor others above yourself, right? When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take a place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I want you to keep in mind, um, we're not talking about just etiquette for meals here. That, that this is a parable. It says that this is a parable. So this is not, hey church, when you get invited to a banquet, this is how I want you to behave. I've treated it this that way for way too long. The banquet is a parable for us in how we relate to one another in the feast of God. Collectively, as a body, as a kingdom, as a church. Pride is a weird thing. It's like body odor. You can't smell yourself. Okay? It's one of those things that it's easy to notice on other people, but you don't always recognize your own pride, right? You don't always recognize, but you can recognize it by what? By how people are reacting to you. You know, what's, what's happening here? You know, and in my exuding pride, I want to give you an example of this, and I was just, um, I was so moved when I remembered this when I was just sitting here singing a minute ago. A family came to our church. Um, this was down in Round Rock. A family came to our church, and they were a very, very poor family. They had very little. I had come to their apartment several times because I was working with the girls, and and when you came in, it was just wall-to-wall stuff everywhere. It was it was very little place to live. They slept on just this small set of bunk beds. It was very tiny and cramped environment. And one time they said, "Can we have you and Melinda over for dinner?" And, and I knew that it would be very difficult for them. This was a family that just made peanut butter sandwiches, and that's what they did. And so Melinda and I were invited over to their house. They transformed their entire house. They put black sheets up over things. They lit candles. They made this one table for two people. And they made multiple meals just so they could put a menu together that was for Melinda and I. And we were to choose what we were going to eat. And they came out and the kids sang songs and they entertained and they did not eat anything but sandwiches while we feasted on what they saved up for. Now, when you come to a banquet like that, which might be, and I couldn't think of another time in my life that I have been more honored than on that moment. When you come to a banquet like that, you do not walk in that room and say, I'm sorry, there's a thumbprint on my glass. You don't do that in that environment. Now, I am so that way in other environments. You, you don't behave that way. You don't criticize that the kids are off key when they're singing. You don't do that because you have just been 
honored. You've been brought to a place that you do not belong. When I walked into that room of those kids singing that song, I was terrified that I would start singing because I would throw the whole thing off. There is no way my voice belonged with those voices. I was in a corner by the fireplace just crying and listening to this and thinking, I don't deserve to be a part of that. And I think this is God's kingdom. When you come in as a family, pride shows itself, not necessarily by me walking around and saying, hey, let me tell you about my resume and my accomplishments. Pride shows itself in my lack of willingness to forgive. Pride shows itself in how hostile I am towards certain people and how warm I am towards others. Pride shows itself in that I don't honor the body of Christ. I honor those who honor me. And I am no different than anyone else in this world. But in the kingdom of God, you come and you sit at the table and you say, these are God's children. I have got to learn to show love even to those that will show anger to me. I have got to be willing to serve. And that is what it is to put yourself in the lowest seat. That you really honor others above yourself. One time, a bunch of kids in my youth group, the Richters remember this, a bunch of kids in our youth group were in a massive fight. It was all of our girls. And they were just, they hated each other. There was so much anger and hostility. And I, t- I think there were about six of them. Were there six? Is that right? About six of them. And I took and I put them on a rock. And it was a rock just about this big. It was just a little dome-shaped rock. And I said, you will sit on this rock until you love each other. And then I walked off. And I, and I was just going to say, I'm just going to make you sit there until you love each other. And one of the girls, Emma, I'll brag on her, her she just looked and she goes, I don't understand the problem. I love you. I love all of you. And she just said it and I was like in tears watching her and thinking, God, give me this heart and God's kingdom. When I don't understand what the problem is at the table, I love you. I love all of you. And if there is a problem between us, I promise you it's not, it's not rooted in me. It's not starting here. And this is what's happening in the kingdom of God and what Satan used to divide and hurt people. It's not, it's not simply anger. It's not simply a hard heart. It's not simply a lack of forgiveness. The problem is our pride. And God wants to humble us. And that is why this banquet illustration is so much deeper than simply etiquette when you're eating meals, right? Um, I'm going to go on in the text just a little bit. So we talked about when you arrive, you take the lowest place. The next section, verses 12 through 15. Now we're going to talk about when you host a banquet, um, beginning in verse 12. Then Jesus said to, to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors If you do, they may invite you back, so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I was just reminded of, you remember the story of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Mephibosheth was dropped when he was five years old, crippled in both legs. His family had lost the kingdom. He has nothing. He's crippled. He's out. And David finds this boy. 
He says, he will sit at the king's table. This is what the text says. I love this. David said to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth, it says, ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. This has been the theme of the book of Luke, largely. Jesus goes in and he heals. He casts out an unclean spirit. And the Pharisees said, why did you do it on the Sabbath? He heals Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. He healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. He healed a crippled woman on the Sabbath. He healed a man with dropsy now in this chapter on the Sabbath. And every single time, instead of celebrating in what God has done in these people's lives, they're angry that they broke their traditions. They're angry that Jesus broke their traditions. And I've seen that so much in my own life, my own experience in God's kingdom, that sometimes we get so obsessed over our tradition that we do it at the cost of celebrating what God is doing in people's lives. Stopping and looking at what's really valuable here. Um, finally, when you're invited to a banquet, and this is my favorite part, this is his conclusion. When you were invited to the banquet, sacrifice everything for that invitation. This is what the text says, beginning in verse 16. So Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I have to go look at it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I I can't come. Imagine how angry it would make you as a host. When you go through that work, when you've been cooking, you've been preparing this banquet, you've been doing everything to make sure everything is set. Your back hurts. You're tired of standing. And then you get the call. I can't come. I've got to go look at a field. Ooh. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys in the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Now, how about this? Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads, the country lanes, and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will taste my food. Now, what this parable is about just took a really serious turn at the end. These people, he says, I love them. They're my family. Now, he is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. This is what he's been doing throughout the book. He's been saying this. I raised you. You've been my wife. You've been my child. You've been my bride. And I've done all of this for you. I've done this work for you. And you treat me like I'm nothing Like the kingdom of God is an afterthought or some reward at the end of this life if you happen to do everything right. But you don't care about my kingdom. And he says these words, you're not going to get a taste. You will not taste my food. And what used to be, what was a private invitation, 
now became an open invitation. We just went out into the roads, and I love this phrase. I didn't check the Greek to say it. It's the NIV. I like it. It says this, make them come in. Go out into the roads, open invitation, and you tell those people that feel like they're worthless, that are nothing, that they are going to have a seat at the king's table. And this is how he describes the kingdom of God and what it looks like. Who we show honor to, and particularly how we respect the invitation ourselves. And the way we treat one another is our response to that invitation. And the way we behave and conduct ourselves in God's kingdom is our response to that invitation. It says this in Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of that kind of invitation, what God has done for you. Um, I don't know if school lunches were as difficult for you as they were for me when I was a kid. But you remember walking into the cafeteria and you had to choose the table that you were going to sit at. And that table meant everything to you because that table was going to determine what group of kids you were in at your school. Now, for a little while, I was the only kid in my entire school that had my skin color. I felt completely terrified that I was not going to be accepted. In fact, I hated the color of my skin because I thought I'd never have a girlfriend or things like that. And I came into this place and I wanted to fit in and I was sitting at the table and they were cracking jokes about each other's moms. And so I thought I wanted to fit in. So I did it. I spent the next forever running home from school every single day terrified, and I did not fit in. I went to another school, and I I just always had that thing, like, I just want to fit in. I want to be at the cool table. You remember that? Nothing has changed. God's kingdom is still that way. You walk in and say, I wonder what group of people I get to be with. I wonder who I get to, who do I fit in with? One time, Jason and I went to go visit one of our kids in school um, who had been injured. Um... He had difficulties. He had difficulties relating to people. And he was so excited. He said, Jason and Jeff, I want you to come to my school and have lunch with me. I want you to meet all my friends. So Jason and I go to a school in Liberty Hill. We sat down at his table. And all of his friends were doing nothing but making fun of him the entire time. They weren't friends at all. And Jason just sat there in silence. And he scares me when he gets that way. And I was getting upset. I was getting angry. And I was thinking, they have no clue the beauty of this child and how people have made him feel. And I was looking around the cafeteria and I was having these flashbacks to when I was a kid. And I was thinking, and I just want to bring this to us and what we're doing here. This is the feast. This is the kingdom. This is it. And there are people, when you walk into a room, it's easy for me to think, Man, especially as a preacher here, it's easy for me to walk in the room and think, man, I hope I'm accepted. What part of the auditorium is it awkward for me to go over to? Because I get the scowls. And what part of the auditorium is it good for me to walk in? Because, oh, those people like me. How, how do they receive me? Am I dressed correctly? Am I speaking too fast? Everything about me. And Jesus said this, essentially, stop thinking about you. 
This isn't about how people receive you. This is about how you honor and treat those people. And you know, when we change our thinking to where it's not about us, and if whether I'm honored or not honored, and instead I'm able to do what Jesus did, see the Zacchaeus in the tree. See or feel the woman that just brushed up against the robe. When I'm able to hear the voice calling from the outside, have mercy on me. When I, instead of seeing the obvious, having the heart that senses people and going to them. And so my prayer for Meadowlark, and this has been an amazing family, is while we are here, David Bland, Bob Bland, Ellen Aronsa, Stephen Donnie, but all of these, these, this is a cloud of witnesses. And while we are here and in this kingdom and in this place, we are at the king's table right now. And the way we conduct ourselves in God's kingdom, showing grace towards one another, forgiving one another, showing love where you have been wronged. If you have a problem with somebody, I loved it that Jim mentioned it in class this morning, and these are some beautiful words. If you have a difficulty with somebody, rebuke them. The reason that is so important to me is because whenever I'm forced to rebuke somebody I have a problem with, it makes me think through and articulate what is my problem. And usually I find out it's my own pride and nothing that they did at all. And that's why it's important to address someone because you find out your own heart when you are forced to do that. I want to lift up this body. And I pray that wherever your table is, wherever your seat is, whatever your relation is to one another in this body, that God would clothe us with a spirit of humility toward one another, a spirit of gratitude at his banquet. Father, I just want to come before you and um, I beg of you that you'll give us greater insight into your words, that they won't simply be parables that we're familiar with, but God, that this would be our experience. Uh, Father, you have poured forth more blessing in our lives than we have room to receive. And I pray, God, that none of us would be, become exalted in our own minds or in others to the point that we forget our role as servants in your house. I love you so much for giving us one another, and I want to lift up, Father, those that have gone before us. I cannot praise you enough for the way you have touched our lives through those people. And I'm full of nothing but gratitude right now, and I pray, God, that we would not simply remember names like Bob Bland, and celebrate what an amazing, wonderful inspiration he was. But, Father, that we would take that torch, that we would take that baton, and that we would emulate that, that we would imitate that, that that would be what we express in our own lives. Uh, bless us, Father, and bless the next generation through us, that they would see your kingdom at work in us. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.